This is Educational Segregation in Spain. Episode 1. A Legislative Initiative Begins. versus Board of Education of Topeka was a landmark 1954 Supreme Court case in which the justices ruled unanimously that racial segregation of children in public schools was unconstitutional. There's been many efforts to desegregate schools since then. Busing, magnet schools, school choice, uh, redrafting school boundaries. But the problem is stubborn and perdures across time. Almost 65 years later, schools are as equally or more segregated than in 1854. I begin wondering what can be done to such wicked enduring problems. And many scholars and advocates and parents and students and politicians have been pondering and wondering about the same issue. What people do when they have a problem they cannot fix? Some people ask other people, friends, families, neighbors, who had experience in similar problem. And maybe through their experiences, we learn something new about ours. Well, in this podcast, we'll do something similar. We'll ask a neighbor. I mean, a very, 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 very far neighbor. A neighbor that is 4,700 miles away. In this podcast, we will fly the Atlantic Ocean to Spain to learn about school segregation and desegregation efforts in the Iberic Peninsula. This podcast series will not provide the magic bullet to fix and remediate school segregation in the US. I'm not sure what we're gonna learn, but what I'm sure is that by learning about other places dealing with the same issues, we will be able to enrich our conversation, maybe generate new ideas and raise new questions and continue this important debate. Are you ready? Pack your bags, exchange your dollars to euros, learn how to convert pounds to kilos, uh, but about a kilo is about two pounds, i tell you that, and miles to kilometers. And oh, please do not forget your wine opener. You're going to need it. You ready, set, let's go. Okay, we're here at the parliament. Let's be quiet and listen. Eskerrik asko, lehio litzarburu banderia, egunon, lehendakari jauna, legebiltzarkideak, legebiltzaronetako langileak, kampaina bidelagunak, egunon guztioi. Bueno, ia zan, lehenengo aldi zizateko... Let me introduce you to this person who was speaking in the parliament. His name is Sabine. Oh, oh yes, 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 I know. If you thought that you were what you were listening was not Spanish, you were right. I'm sorry, I kind of lie, maybe a pitiful lie. I mean, not a completely lie. Uh, when I tell you that we were coming to Spain, we, we did we did came to Spain, but maybe not what you expected. Uh, we are in the Basque Country, and this was the Basque Government Parliament. The Basque Country is an autonomous community within Spain, located in the northern corner, bounding France. I mean, if you're in Google, go and check it out. Look at the picture; it's gorgeous. What you listen to Sabine speaking was not Spanish; was Euskera, the Basque language. 
there's a lot of things to say about the Basque language and language politics in this region. It's fascinating. And I will introduce this a little by little in the episodes to come, as it's very important to understand the education system, but also some aspects contributing to segregation. But for now, just let Sabine introduce himself, this time in English. Um, I'm Sabine Zubiri, and I'm an activist in a social platform in the Basque country that addresses uh, different uh, social problems. Uh, for example, um, the school, seg school segregation and, and, for example, uh, the big uh, difference of uh, electoral participation uh, between different uh, cities. Um, yeah. In 2017, the social platform that Sabine was calling in decided to take up an issue that was not much part of the public debate on the Basque Country, school segregation. It became to know, be known as the ILP, and people involved in it will embark in a year and a half journey to educate, educate themselves and others in the issue, build reports, gather signatures, and at the end, as you just listened a few minutes ago, presenting the Basque Parliament to push the Parliament to pass legislation that will mitigate ethnic and class segregation in the Basque Country. But let's, uh, let Sabine speak about his own work. The beginning it was uh, uh, when we organized uh, a debate uh, about uh, school segregation. And after the debate, uh, we, we considered that uh, there was an opportunity to, to make um, a campaign uh, uh, against the school segregation. Not, not just a debate, but uh, a campaign, a social campaign. So who, who organized this, this uh, original debate? Uh, a little platform, a little social movement, Subia uh, Keraikis, that it means uh, uh, building a bridge. Building a bridge, okay. Building a bridge. Um, and we, we organize, usually we organize different... Uh, different debates, and, and we considered that it was a, a, an interesting debate. Uh, some people of the movement uh, were involved in the, in the um, educational system, were uh, teachers and, and public administration, uh, administrators of, uh, of schools. And so that, that was the beginning, yeah. So, so do you remember who, who brought this idea or, or how education came to uh, uh, the interest of, of this social platform? I would say that it, it was uh, because one of the members, Gonzalo Larrucea, Gonzalo Larrucea he, he, he writes a book about the, about the Basque uh, uh, education, education system, no? So in a part of this book, uh, he analyzed the, the, the problem of the social education. It was not uh, the, specific, um, the, the specific stuff of, of the book. It was a, a different approach of the educational system, but one of the chapters was about, about this problem. That we could say that uh, yeah, Gonzalo Larrucea was the, who, the, the person who 
begins with the with the idea. And after- so note that uh, Sabine mentioned another important actor on this legislative initiative, Gonzalo Larrusea. So I contact Gonzalo. And one Thursday in his lunch break, we went to a coffee shop, grab a coffee, and he taught me a lot about segregation in the Basque country. Si te molesta decir primero tu nombre y, y tu posición o, o, o como quieras definirte. Bueno, sin más, soy Gonzalo Larrucea, nacido en Bilbao al final de mi vida profesional, porque me jubilo este mes. Y, y bueno, pues eh, he pasado por muchos desempeños en el mundo de la enseñanza. El último es... Eh, llevo ocho so, the interview with Gonzalo was in Spanish, but don't worry, I'll translate a little bit for you. Gonzalo is a veteran in education. He has been for decades wor- working in the Basque education system, and for the last 10 years, he was a school inspector. He has also written uh, numerous um, op-eds in newspaper and articles in newspapers uh, about issues in the education system in the Basque country. And uh, actually, he was retiring. He, this was the last year that he was working. Um, he explained to me that there were many teachers and administrations that had complained about school segregation to him. And due to his background in education and Sabine's interest on the issue, they decided that Subiak Eraikis, remember that social platform, meaning building bridges, will take up this issue. So between Gonzalo and Subin, Sabine, sorry, uh, the first step was to organize a series of public talks, invite research and activists who have done work on segregation, uh, invite other experts in segregation in Spain, everything that they could do to educate themselves and also to bring attention to the public debate and invite different stakeholders to get them interested in the issue. So I think we need to stop here and ask a key question, almost an elephant in the room. This initiative brought by the social platform, Subiak Eraikis, was in 2017. And and something doesn't fit in this story to me so far. Was segregation never an issue in the Basque country before? What about the rest of Spain? Rappling with these questions, I did exactly what Sabine and Gonzalo did. I went to talk to the experts and learned that to understand segregation in, this, in the Spain and the Basque country and compare it to the segregation in the US, we need to learn about the history of the Spanish educational system. So let me introduce someone who can help us to better understand this history. Hi, my name is Xavier Bonal. I'm professor of sociology here at the University Autonoma of Barcelona. Xavier Bonal has researched and written extensively about the Spanish educational system, segregation in Spain, and the role of public-private partnership in education that contributes sometimes to segregation. But let, let's Xavi to tell us about the history of the education system in Spain. Uh, can you tell me about the history of the current educational system in Spain? 
Yeah, very briefly, because it's a long history. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, probably the most uh, salient aspect of the education system in Spain, it has been its uh, dual character. Uh, we come from a long tradition of having uh, private education uh, providers. Um, it was, uh, that's one of the characteristics and, and, and the, uh, among the main providers of the private providers is the Catholic Church. So education was in the hands of the Catholic Church for many years, especially during the Francoism, because Franco delegated and inhibited the state from the provision of education and delegated into the Catholic Church uh, its provision completely. Uh, that has had uh, uh, incredible consequences in terms of education inequalities because at, at the very beginning those that could afford uh, to pay for education and go to private schools uh, they could uh, get access to a very high quality education uh, and those that were in the public schools and municipal schools uh, could have access to very basic and, and with a low level of teachers uh, that were uh, poorly trained and that was one of the main characteristics of the system during the Francoism. Uh, when democracy arrived, change, change, uh, things started to change significantly because um, democratic governments, uh, they were really aware that uh, the system had to change. The, the access to education started becoming highly democratized and, and that changed completely the picture. And Part of the demand, especially of the middle classes, start changing from private education to public schools. The teacher training system changed completely. The buildings of a school also changed completely. So uh, now the system is much more balanced. And if you look at the percentages of each sector now, in the whole uh, in the whole country, we might have uh, over 70% already of public schools and uh, only 25, 28% of, uh, of private schools, of, of students enrolled in private schools. What is true also that there is high divergences uh, among Spanish regions. There are some regions that had much more tradition of private schools. Catalonia is a good example of that. The Basque country is also a very good example of that. The Basque country still has more private schools, students enrolled in private schools than, than those in public. Uh, Madrid is also a very good example of, of high levels of, of private schools. So in a nutshell, that's more or less one of the main characteristics of the system. So to put into into context, what what years did the Franco regime end? Uh, in 1975. So until 1975, most students were going to private schools and the, the public sector was very shrank and, and with very limited resources. Is yeah. that correct? Not only that, I would say even there were, we had uh, a clear shortage of school places. Hmm. When uh, the, la the, the, the law, the general law in education that was passed in 1970 uh, extended education up to 14 years old, from 6 to 14 years old. Until that moment, we had a law from the 19th century that obliged uh, compulsory education up to 11 or 12 years old. So just when this changed and, uh, and um, the, limit, the, the age uh, of compulsory education ended at 14, automatically there were 1 million children in Spain 
that were not going to school. Mm. And these schools places had to be built. Actually, we have one important agreement in 1978, which is Pactos de la Moncloa, the Moncloa Agreements, that all the political parties of the democratic regime decided to agree to build uh, 800,000 school places to uh, respond to the shortage of school places. So the, the problems were huge at that moment. To have another point of view, I also met with another professor of sociology at the Universidad Autónoma de Barcelona. Hi, I am Anthony Berger. I am a professor of sociology at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. Tony Berger also expanded on this history of the educational system in Spain with their roots in the military government of Franco. We have to take into account that um, Spain had a dictatorship regime until the middle of the 70s and the regulation uh, for 40 years didn't pay very much attention to public education and was not really investing in in public education, teacher training and so on. With the transition to democracy there was an opportunity to modernize the educational system and there was a big reform in the year 82. So, and this reform was advanced by a progressive government. Um, we had the government of the Partido Socialista Obrero Español for the first time. So there were many expectations um, between progressive movements of pedagogy and so on in having a very, let's say, advanced educational reform to modernize the educational system. However, that reform came at the same time than a big economic crisis. And this meant that maybe the ambition of the reform was, let's say, nuanced. And in the end, the only way to provide education for the masses was to organize a public-private partnership between the state and the Catholic Church. So there was more investment in public education, but also the government considered that it was necessary to, to have the support of private providers to, to support public education. And this um, was a critical juncture in the sense that changed the structure and the nature of the educational system in Spain for, for decades. Mm. So let's stop and think about all this. After the Spanish Civil War that lasted from 1936 to 1939, Franco took power as a dictator. His dictatorship lasted almost 40 years until his death in 1975. Let's draw a parallel here. In 1975, the US Congress was passing the Education for All Handicap Act, what we know now as the Individuals with Disability Education Act or IDA. So this is not as long ago as one may think. I was born in 1979. This story is recent. During Franco years, there was little investment in public education and the education system mostly relied on the Catholic Church and parochial schools subsidized by the dictatorship. When Spain became a democracy after Franco's death, there was a strong commitment to public education, but the country did not have the capacity to invest in expanding public school, creating more buildings, uh, uh, training more teachers, bringing more materials. In addition, there was a negotiation between the right and left parties. While the former ones wanted to support 
Catholic private education, the latter ones wanted a non-religious public education system. The result of this negotiation and this lack of capacity was a dual system, public schools and publicly funded private schools that are required to follow national educational policy and provide free access to all students. These schools, these private public schools are called concertadas because a concierto is like a contract, similar to a charter, similar to charter school. So we still have not answered our question. Is segregation in Spain a new phenomena or it always existed? Here again, Xavier Bonal. Well, what we had until that moment was uh, this system that is called subvenciones, which is um, uh, kind of a bonification that the state gave uh, money to, to private schools. But of course, that was insufficient for the costs of, of uh, everyday life of these schools that charge fees and the state never controlled the fees that private schools were uh, charging to students. So private schools became uh, immediately selective uh, because they only those students that could afford the prices could go and also they were selective in terms of who goes to my school and who, go, who doesn't go. So in that sense they could exclude poor children, they could exclude children from Roma minorities for instance and that increased this dualization between public and private schools in the system uh, very profoundly. Yeah. So, so even it was it was not study or, or there was not a concern at that point. I imagine there was there were huge levels of segregation in the schools. Absolutely, absolutely. We had uh, class segregation uh, very strongly, and also in terms of ethnic minorities, because we have one particularity of the of Spain is that we had kind of ethnic homogeneity until uh, the year two thousand more or less when migrant waves from from the north of Africa and from Latin America start coming to the country. But before that, the main ethnic minority in Spain were uh, the gypsies, Roma children. And the level of segregation of these kids was amazing. So no, nobody wanted to go with the children mm -hmm. at a school with incredible levels of absenteeism too. But if you look at only uh, class segregation, you would find incredible levels of class segregation between the public and the private system. And even within each of these sectors, you could find different levels and different fractions of these social classes being enrolled in different schools. Hmm. Um, and, and now we're transitioning to, into segregation within this history of Spain. Uh, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the history of, of segregation in, in the country? Yeah, I would say uh, um, we, we had already this kind of segregation, but that was not very much into the public debate because we, we assumed that the system had to be changed when democracy arrived completely because it was in its design, it's completely, uh, it was completely unequal. Actually, we, we had a, an important law in 1985, which is the law on the right to education. We even had to approve a right on, uh, on uh, a law on the right to education in which the state commits itself to look, uh, to look after the provision of public places for, for, uh, for children. Um, that means that we, uh, the, the, the problem is that we don't have specific indicators or data 
of, of those years about the level of segregation. But it was clear that the level of inequality, and we have indicators of inequality that show that the system was completely, completely uh, unequal. When we go to recent years, then we have realized that the level of ethnic segregation, uh, not only the level of social segregation, has increased very, very much in our, in our schools. Because uh, you have to think that one of the problems that, that uh, Spain had with migration was the, not, not very much the level of migrants that we have in the country, but the acceleration of their arrival. Mm. So in the year 2000, we could have around 200% of foreign nationality children in our schools, and only in seven or eight years, we jumped to 15%. So the change was really strong. So that favored the, the process of concentration. Ethnic minorities that arrived to our cities, they start living together in the same neighborhoods and attending to the same schools. And uh, there was no policy at all those years about, and the concerns about these aspects. Uh, it's interesting because in the case of Catalonia, for instance, there were concerns because of linguistic aspects, especially, because some of the members of the Catalan government were, the concerns were how to ensure that these kids will learn Catalan which is the language of instruction of Catalan public schools. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and in that sense, they wanted to make sure that Catalan could be used by them, and that favored a little bit uh, some initiatives uh, to deconcentrate. Uh, but there was no specific policy. Nobody regarded this as a real problem. Because we came from a tradition of private schools, which means we came from a tradition of uh, school choice, high levels of choice, and that assumed that was kind of a natural distribution of students among our schools. So it was a, a more like a de facto segregation. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. That pe people would think, oh, we're segregated because people choose to go here and there. Exactly. And assuming very much that uh, um, it's, it's up to them um, yeah. whether they want to go to this type of schools and other, other type of schools. And because there's a, a very low critical level about uh, economic discrimination, for instance. We had, in, for instance, in Catalonia, a long tradition of conservative nationalist Catalan governments that uh, assumed that private schools would charge fees, although it was forbidden by law at that time. But anyway, they assumed that that was a natural thing. So inspection uh, never took this seriously. I was also able to talk another Spanish professor, but this time from the University of Glasgow. I am Adrián Zancajo. I am a British Academy postdoctoral fellow at the University of Glasgow at the School of Education. And during my career, I have been working on education market privatization, but also in relation to, to educational inequalities uh, and school segregation. Can you tell me about the history of uh, racial, ethnic, class, or, or different kinds of segregation in Spain? Okay, so uh, it's important to take into account that uh, Spain has a comprehensive education system uh, from the 80s, even from the 90s. So most of this segregation in terms of socioeconomic status is uh, relatively new because all of these people 
particularly from a low socioeconomic background, were out of education in most cases in the 80s. So the most important or the most relevant school segregation in Spain for me is the socioeconomic segregation and the segregation uh, which relates to the immigrant background of the students. Of course, all of this is related to racial and ethnic segregation, but in the, in the public debate, even in the policy debate or in the academic debate, the main focus is on uh, socioeconomic segregation and uh, immigrants, the segregation of immigrant students. So in terms of socioeconomic uh, segregation, uh, I would say that um, the expansion of the education system put this on the table because many and many uh, people or students from low socioeconomic backgrounds enter or access the, the education system and this become a quite relevant issue how they were distributed among the schools. And in the case of uh, Segregation of immigrant students, this is a relatively recent new phenomenon because it's important to take into account that Spain experienced uh, its first significant wave of immigration by the end of the 90s or in 2000. And this is a relatively new phenomenon in our education system. But at the same time, was a, a very dramatically increase of the number in a short period of time of the number of immigrant students. And in terms of history, um, I would say that uh, at the beginning, this was not problematized by, by the public authorities. And now it's becoming more, particularly in Catalonia, I don't know the case in other regions of Spain, but particularly in Catalonia is more and more a, a very important phenomenon in the policy debate and in the academic debate. So segregation in Spain is a recent phenomenon in the public arena and political debate. There was some segregation before, but this involved that most students from lower class did not attend the schools, as there was not enough school capacity to serve all students. Since it's democracy, Spain has been concerned mostly with providing universal access to school, trying to expand their public school network. With these beginnings of democracy, and as a result of the right and left party negotiations and the lack of infrastructure and capacity to provide public education, the Spanish government incorporated Catholic schools and other forms of private schools into the public network. In exchange, these schools were required to follow national educational mandates and needed to be free to the public. But also, as uh, Adrián and Xavi and Tony explained, have also created new forms of segregation. In the next episode, we go back to the legislative initiative. Sabina and Gonzalo and others can organize and build a report to understand the extent of school segregation in the Basque country and they begin a campaign to gather signatures to be able to present in the Basque parliament. Will the ILP be able to gather support? Will people in other social groups support them? Some people will think that segregation is not a problem. Others thought it was and others didn't know it even existed in the Basque country. All that and much more in the next episode of School Segregation in Spain.
This resource was brought to you by the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center. To find out about other Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center resources, visit our website at www.greatlakesequity.org. To subscribe to our publications, click on the Subscribe to Our Publications link located on the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center website. The Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, a project of the Great Lakes Equity Center, is funded by the United States Department of Education to provide technical assistance, resources, and professional learning opportunities related to equity, civil rights, and systemic school reform throughout our 13-state region. The contents of this presentation were developed under a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. However, these contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the U.S. Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. This product and its contents are provided to educators, local and state education agencies, and or non-commercial entities for educational training purposes only. No part of this recording may be reproduced or utilized in any form or in any means, electronic or mechanical, including recording or by an, any information storage and retrieval system without permission in writing from the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center. Finally, the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center would like to thank the Indiana University School of Education Indianapolis at IUPY, as well as Executive Director Dr. Catherine Quintorias, Director of Operations Dr. Sina Skelton, and Associate Director Dr. Tiffany Kaiser for their leadership and guidance in the development of all tools and resources to support the region.